You're listening to UP Tech Talk, the podcast from Academic Technology Services and Innovation at the University of Portland, where we explore the use of technology in the classroom, one conversation at a time. Welcome to UP Tech Talk. This is the podcast where we explore the use of technology in the classroom, one conversation at a time. I'm Ben Khan. I'm an instructional technologist here at the University of Portland, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Maria Erb. Hey, Ben. And we're happy to have with us in the studio today, Peter Pappas from our School of Education here at the University of Portland. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Thanks. Great to be back. And Peter, we're always glad to have you on the show, but we're especially glad because you're going to be our guest for UP Crossroads coming up in March, and that is, of course, our, our conversational forum where we invite people to uh, share about a current hot topic that involves ethics and technology. And you've got a great topic for us for for that series, and it's on social media and how it's turned out versus how people intended, perhaps, for it to to run. So we're excited to hear your views on that today, and we're going to be exploring that in a roundtable-style format on the podcast today. Sounds like fun. (laughs) Well, I'm just... Oh, I was going to say, so um, I guess, Peter, when Maria was reaching out to you about um, coming on to or participating in the Crossroads talk, uh, was kind of social media or something around social media the first idea that you had? Uh, Yeah, because it's something I've been thinking a lot about. Uh, You know, I was a big promoter. Well, I was a big user of social media. I certainly promoted it among my students, my colleagues, staff development workshops I did, and... uh, and it hasn't turned out so great, uh, or at least what I thought. So my working title for our crossroads is Social Media Promised Us a Voice for All. Instead, we got Macedonian Trolls mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's part of it. I mean, it's really convoluted and, mm-hmm. and um, complicated landscape out there. Right. And ever-changing and, and uh, morphing. Yeah. And uh, for me to just not, not to – not to pull grandpa on the two of you, but, you know, I, I kind of grew up in a different media um, environment of the 50s and 60s where there were lots of sort of media gatekeepers. And, of course, mm-hmm. coming of age during the 60s, it was all about, you know, TV and uh, control of the media. Uh, I used to teach a media studies class in the 70s. It was all very McLuhan, you know, and mm-hmm. it was all about... Uh, TV shaping our mm-hmm. thought. And so when the digital revolution came along and later social media, you know, my first thought is this is great. You know, the uh, gatekeepers are gone. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was publishing things with my students. You know, there's no barrier to entry and we can all network. And I was doing a lot of great networking on Twitter and Facebook with, uh, you know, colleagues. And I was advocating for my students to, to do the same. And then it all changed. (laughs) And so I'm really rethinking it. And what I'm hoping is that um, at at the crossroads, um, we can engage a larger number of people in a conversation about uh, whether they're having second Mm -hmm. thoughts or whether this has changed their own use of social media or whether they're uh, perhaps rethinking how we teach digital literacy, Mm -hmm. um, et cetera. It's interesting because it sounds like your own kind of personal lived experience of social media has been overall really positive, both for you and for the students that you've kind of engaged in using it. Would you would you say that's true or? 
Are you seeing it a different way, just like as, as part of the wide world, or is you noticing that darkness creeping in yourself too? Well, you know, it's funny. I've I've got I've got five Twitter accounts, and I have one. <laughs> I have one account that's me, and I have one for each of my classes, and then I have two other anonymous accounts. One of which I deal with national politics, and the other where where I deal with local politics. Hmm. And in both of those, I'm not there. This is some other entity. And so it's interesting for me to see how easy it is to create a Twitter account and kind of operate it as, um, uh, you know, without any personal connection to it. Mm -hmm. Now, we're not trolling people or anything like that, but um, I, I guess as I realized that there were some things that I wanted to say about national and local politics, I realized I did not want that to get into my own personal social media sphere. And so I've worked right. to kind of keep them separate, nice. if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's interesting. But at the same time, I realize how easy it is for anyone else who has some more uh, nefarious goals to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, that's just Twitter. I imagine you do it on Instagram or anywhere mm-hmm. else, Facebook, etc. Sure, yeah. I, I I think also that it that it kind of invites the need to teach a new digital literacy, you know, because uh, certainly as um, you know as a longtime history teacher, I mean, I used to send my students to the library, the school library, anything they found they could use, you know, mm-hmm. and now uh, to be digitally literate, you have to find your own information, but then you have to be able to critically evaluate it, and I don't know. I, I don't think that that whole idea of critical evaluation of information is going very well. I don't, I don't think we're any better at it than we were when we started teaching digital literacy. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I think that's an interesting point, and I, I think it's it's right on. And, I mean, I know one thing, a quote you had had, had in your class, I was reviewing your the uh, Ed 424 class that you taught last spring, and uh, one quote I had pulled out that you had used was the um, – what does the classroom look like now that life is an open book test, right? Right. But um, we probably have to add on to that, that the book is also full of crap. That's not true, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, how do we uh, how do we get people to both realize that life is an open book test, but there's so much misleading or just junk information out there that you just can't trust the first thing that you see? That's a battle that's been raging for at least a decade, right? <clears throat> more than that, probably. And it just seems to get harder to fight all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. There's right? more and more information mm-hmm. out there, yeah. And more and more, mm-hmm. it's it's cloaked as right. something and else. Through more right? and more sophisticated yeah. methods, right? yeah. Well, well, the other thing, too, is I think if you look at the business model of an organization like Facebook, um, the, the sort of things that we would find... Uh, wrong about social media use. For example, the fact that uh, someone who's looking to hire somebody could, you know, post news of job openings on Facebook, but because Facebook knows so much about their users, they could, let's say, target potential young employees and exclude older employees, Mm -hmm. which is a violation of employment law. However, that's exactly what the Facebook model allows you to do. Uh, so you wouldn't be breaking any rules at Facebook. Uh, and so it kind of makes me wonder if if it's even fixable, you know? Right, yeah. yeah. 
Um, just to throw in like a recommendation for a media or a TED talk, uh, there was the author Zeynep Tefseki. She's a Turkish author. Uh, she's, she calls herself a techno sociologist. So of mm. course I'm all about her work. <laughs> um, and she had a TED talk that was called something along the lines of we're building a dystopia just to make people click on ads online. Yeah. And it's, she, she really breaks it down. And what um, struck me about her talk, she was talking about, you know, I'm not um, I'm not a vegetarian, but I was considering becoming a vegetarian. So I went on YouTube and watched some just videos about veg- like vegetarianism. And so I watched one, and it's like, hey, try this other one. And it's like, okay. And then it's like, hey, try these vegan videos. Try these like increasingly more like esoteric and and strange kind of diets beyond just being vegetarian. So the way she phrased it was that you know. According to YouTube's algorithm, you're never hardcore enough. No. You're always get, you're always getting pushed like the well. If you like that, maybe you will like this because they just want to keep you on their uh, platform as long as long as possible. Mm. So that was sort of like an interesting look at um, how there's sort of the algorithms behind the scenes that are just designed to keep you there just so they can suck up more data about you and then in turn sell ads through places like Facebook and and Google. So um, to your point, I think that. Yeah, sort of the the um, business model behind so much of the internet that started as this big wide open resource and has been increasingly mm-hmm. just taken over by these giant companies mm-hmm. that have are really really good at monetizing uh, online communication, kind of has thrown our priorities out of whack a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I sh- certainly share your sentiments about. Um social media and and you know when you look at the way the the web has gone right when when it first kind of not came out but um when graphical web browsers came out at least it was the wild west and you could you know all of a sudden you anybody could put up a web page and start talking about anything and you know just post pictures of whatever and it was just it was a great place to be because paypal hadn't come around yet and there was no way to monetize anything mm-hmm. so it was so it existed for that slice of time in this like perfect space right where it was just this communication medium and all of a sudden it gave all this power to all these people that didn't have a platform before and it was wonderful well how long did that last you know probably the same amount of time that social media was this wild west place where everybody had a voice too right yeah and um you know the 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 whole idea of of free media you know really gets back to the notion that if somehow you're on a service that's free then in fact the service isn't the product you're the product yeah. and 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 i think that it it's been sort of drummed into us that we don't have to pay for things uh, and in reality, I think if we want quality media, we have to subscribe to things. I mean, I, I subscribe to a bunch of journals and uh, newspapers, and I willingly pay money because I trust them to do some curatorial work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, it, you know, the news feed coming through most uh, m- most. Well, it's like, why pay professionals to do it when you can just have someone tell you what you want to hear for free? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And uh, uh, I I think that it, what it's done is uh, kind of upended this notion of the marketplace of ideas because we kind of thought that this would pr- provide a low-barrier way for people to share information and that the best idea would rise. 
But in fact, what's happened because of the algorithms, uh, we're not in a common space. We, we say we're on Facebook, but the Facebook that I see is different than the Facebook that somebody else sees. And it's almost like there's all these little capillaries of information that are flowing to individuals. And so the thought that there's going to be this greater good that's going to emerge from it, I, I don't see how, how that happens. Uh, because there isn't really kind of a meaningful discourse where the best idea rises to the top. Yeah, there's almost no place to have that meaningful discourse. I mean, where where could you have it? Right. No, like I can't think right. of. Well, what? And it's like, what do people want to talk about too? I mean, you <laughs> you just basically described Reddit in like terms of mechanics of how it works. Mm-hmm. You can probably go and find like very meaningful political dialogue on reddit if you know exactly where to look and you're willing to put up with all of the (laughs) (coughs) baggage um that comes along with using that particular service but yeah i mean there's really no one centralized place like you said that can be a marketplace of ideas unless Mm -hmm. it is one of those that's achieved that scale and that volume by making just amazing amounts of money off of serving ads Mm -hmm. and that's their incentive to get everyone onto their platform is because they're the best at serving ads. That's why Facebook and Google are the biggest companies in the world right now. Yeah, and it was interesting to see that Facebook is changing their algorithm to um, actually increase the likelihood that you'll see information from your peers, you know, as if my... I mean, nothing against my peers. (laughs) Sorry to anyone who's listening, but, you know, I mean, I think I'd rather be reading the New York Times. Um, And... And, and so uh, I guess that journals um, and newspapers, uh, especially smaller ones, are now going to have to pay to play, which means yeah. that increasingly I'm just going to see whatever, you know, my cousin thinks is cool. And right, uh, more and more media is being consolidated into fewer sources in the first place. I mean, if your right. cousin even has a local newspaper to share. Yeah, right. And and, I, and I'm not going to say which cousin. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so so I don't see how that improves things. I, I, I uh, don't, don't quite get how this works out. I, because it would seem that for Facebook to really get fixed, they'd have to change their business model. Right. Somehow. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, in a really profound way. Do they think they need to be fixed? Well, I think uh, Zuckerberg, he does like a little personal improvement project every year. You know, like a couple years ago, he was killing all of his own animals to eat the meat. And, um, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, yeah, slaughtering he, them himself. Yeah, he was like slaughtering his own um, uh, livestock for a year. And then I think another year he was like running a mile every day. So I think, and I haven't read up on this, but I think this year his uh, he was going to fix Facebook was his oh. right. like goal for the year, in light of all the the Russia stuff and the election oh, yeah. and just the general kind of toxicity. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, and they're going to tell us how many how many Russian trolls we actually looked at, right yeah. after the fact, and if yeah. we can figure out if that meant anything or if, not. Who right. knows? Um, but anyway, so that's kind of interesting. So. Um, if you, if you don't mind, I want to switch gears a little bit and yeah. talk about uh, the current situation we're in is the one that we're in. But do you think it's kind of the nature of the medium of social media and online um, kind of communication that it had to go this way? Like, is there something about the way that social media works that encourages, like, 
you know, such divisiveness, uh, such uh, being kind of put off into your uh, your social media bubble and not being open to new ideas, or um, I don't know, like just do you think it's the mechanisms of social media that are the problem, or just kind of the way that it's being run? Well, it might be part of the notion of new media. Like, for example, when film was in its infancy, uh, you know, Birth of a Nation came out, uh, you know, and, and really celebrated the, the, the uh, in essence, the rise of the KKK. And, and, you know, viewers were not that sophisticated in terms of dealing with film, and and that went on to become wildly popular. Uh, certainly radio was uh, used effectively a, as propaganda, uh, you know, during the 30s, and a, as, as folks perhaps were first getting accustomed to radio. So maybe it's part of a maturation process. I mean, in the way that, you know, used to buy cars without seatbelts, uh, maybe someday there'll be seatbelts for social media or something, you know, we'll kind of grow into it. Yeah. But it's, uh, this stuff typically comes from outside. I mean, the automakers didn't rush out to put in seatbelts. Right. So I don't think Twitter is going to design a Twitter belt. I mean, I think somebody's going to have to force them to do it. going to have to say, look, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, I've thought about just getting off of it. Just say, you know what? I'm done. Uh, and yet, um, I, I've made incredible contacts via social media professionally. Uh, the work my students do, I'm very proud of. And when they publish something, I really like to promote it. And so I think I'm pretty effective at getting the word out there. Uh, and you know, when I travel and we post some pictures of our trip and I come back and see somebody and they say, gee, I saw, I saw you had a great trip and that was a beautiful place you went to. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I really don't even have to show them any pictures because they've seen them already. Yeah. Uh, so I think if you could use it well, it, it would probably be a good thing. But unfortunately, yeah. I, I don't know that it's used well all I, the time. I think um, what you're saying, you know, it just points to a very measured use of it, right? And in a way that's fairly controllable and that also has parameters around the repercussions that can happen. Right. And I think that that's a wise use, you know? Um, maybe the question is, can't you know, can people kind of draw those boundaries around themselves? Do they want to? And are there consequences, you know, for, yeah. for not doing that too? Right. right. I mean, you, you brought up clue in like the medium is the message so Mm -hmm. like we live in the social media world and that's just sort of how things just seem to be getting stranger and stranger (laughs) (laughs) as we go along um but i think McLuhan also talked about like different technologies as kind of like adding on i think he called them extensions on demand so like each technology kind of like grants you an additional mutant power that you have right that you didn't have before (laughs) um and so uh gosh where was i going with this um Mutant powers that I yes. have. Yeah, our mutant, our mutant yeah. powers. Right. So I guess what I'm getting at is uh, just as we add more and more technology into the world, mm-hmm. are we just basically seeing humanity and all of its, you know, good good uh, traits and also not so good traits just being amplified and then just clashing everywhere? I mean, you brought up, like, social media maybe just needing an adjustment period. It all seems very new and strange right now, but maybe in 50 years we'll look back and be like, yeah, it was nothing. (laughs) Well, I mean, it may just come down to the nature of being, you know, 
excuse me, your your view of the nature of people. Mm-hmm. I, I right. mean, are people basically good, or if you present them with a new technology, will they figure out a way to exploit it and uh, make money and, right. and create a new form of be, porn or yes, something? So. You know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah, so, yes. so I I I kind of wonder. Um, you know, my my kids are adults, but I have grandkids that are very involved in social media. I have a granddaughter who who sometimes gets upset when when her Instagram followers are dropping in numbers. You know, I I I, I guess I would be very concerned if I was raising a kid and trying to decide how much access to give them and what what platforms were acceptable. Um, uh, I think as an adult, I can use it wisely, but boy, is it as a young person, mm-hmm. you know, especially in need of affirmation and mm-hmm. not wanting to be bullied, I yeah. it it would seem like a pretty pretty scary place. Yeah. So it's so it's time to get on the <laughs> you know on the bandwagon here yeah. to stamp out social media. Yeah. No, we're not saying that. No. We're we're just having second thoughts. Yeah. Buyers Facebook remorse. Facebook did put out a kids app, I believe. For what? <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, it's like a messenger, but. For kids, but I'm not clear how they ensure that it's all kids on there. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm sure they have something oh. that they're doing, but uh, on the internet, no one knows I'm a dog. Already. Right? The old R- cartoon. Sure. Yeah. 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 Or worse, that's the thing. You know, I think not to get even more apocalyptic, but um, you know, certainly if you wanted to invent some device for authoritarians to use to keep track of everyone and to feed them information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we are we are not too far from Orwell's it, telescreen. It totally is that. I mean, that, I think of that that and RoboCop all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> RoboCop. Yeah. Well, the funny ha- the funny thing is though is that, like free speech is in no way um, restricted, right? I mean, it's like more crazy and rampant than ever. <laughs> it's just that people are screaming at the top of their lungs opposite <laughs> things at each other. Right. Online all day long, you know, like uh, as we're recording this, um, President Trump just had his physical, Oof. and I was looking at the <laughs> the feed that came out of that. Yeah. And depending on if you are more left wing or more right wing, it was a conspiracy either way. Like either Trump's about to kill over from a secret heart condition, or uh, the liberal media is like manufacturing oh, right, a bunch of fake news about his health. Right. So, um, and it's the same report, right? So. Right. It's all the same information coming out. It's just well, that was radically differently. That was the irony of those uh, Russian and Macedonian troll farms. Uh, I I I saw some of the same companies had created uh, parallel sites: one left wing, one right wing, mm-hmm. and there was actually a great comparison of the same article from both sites uh, with the same photograph. Uh, either you know praising Hillary or trashing Hillary or uh, 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 Trump or whatever, and uh, in, in in true wise economic fashion, they put the least amount of effort into changing each article, mm-hmm. just enough so it could spin either far right or far left. Mm-hmm. Because if anyone's got to click on it, it's got to be outrageous. Yeah. So same content just had you know dealt up in two different perspectives. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, talk radio has kind of been doing that for a long time, though, right? The, that same idea of mm-hmm. Rush Limbaugh comes to mind. And well, you at least have the uh, peace of mind of knowing that Rush Limbaugh doesn't sign off of his show and then just 
flip the dial to a liberal station and then come on. <laughs> and then come on again. Like, hey, I'm uh, a yeah, mush mimba here and I'm a crazy, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. you know, so. So do you, suppose we've gotten, uh, do you suppose we've gotten anyone interested in coming to this Crossroads things or just <laughs> depressed people? Okay, well, yeah, maybe we should. Uh, we should segue to that. I think uh, yeah. certainly as someone who's tasked with leading that conversation, mm-hmm. I, I hope to, you know, involve a few activities where people kind of have to interact with each other, sharing uh, some of their engagement levels over social media and whether yeah. they see themselves as content consumers or creators and mm-hmm. hopefully make make it an interesting experience and an interactive experience as well as, um, I guess, a conversation worth, worth having. No, that's a great idea, and I hope some students come. Um, I think they always surprise me with, with their, their yeah. use levels. I mean, you get the whole range from students that never go into Facebook to ones that never turn it off to um, ones that w- will only read print books. They don't want anything in e-format, you know, to, to others that have the exact opposite. So uh, it's always interesting to see where they fall on the spectrum. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. we'll uh, hopefully explore those uh, subjects in depth all right. and have some fun doing it. Definitely. Well, I think we're all looking forward to it. And um, yeah. We'll end it there. Yeah. All right. Well, Peter, thanks so much for coming over and joining us today. Maria, thanks as always for being here. You're welcome. And we will see you next time, listeners. Thanks. Fun to chat. Take care. UP Tech Talk is a bi monthly podcast with co hosts Ben Kahn. That's me and Maria Erb of Academic Technology Services and Innovation that explores the use of technology in the classroom one conversation at a time. We invite you to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or on Google Play Music so that you never miss a new episode. To continue the conversation with us on social media, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at TheBenKahn, that's T-H-E-B-E-N-K-A-H-N, and Maria is at Herb Farm. That's E-R-B-F-A-R-M. For more information, please visit our blog at techtalk.up.edu. You'll find more information about all of our latest episodes, and you can browse our archive for dozens of great conversations with our UP faculty guests.